0: with
1: your host, Eric Anthonson. What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the Progression Project podcast. Today's guest on the show is Brandon Sheed. Brandon's not someone that I knew a whole lot about until we started talking on Instagram and I started following what he was up to. But this guy's a legend. He is a kite surfing champion, five-time Triple S winner, 2018 KPL champion, 2x AWSI kiteboarder of the year. And he is now using those talents to help slingshot. He works with Slingshot, help them develop to develop incredible new foil technology, kite technology wings. Um, This conversation, I really enjoyed it. It was really fun to get to hang with Brandon. It was short. It was about 45 minutes. But our thoughts on flow and the learning process were very similar. And it was just a super fun conversation. It's always fun when I get to speak with someone who has a similar lens on the world, um, someone who has shaped their life around access to the things that they love. And then maybe that's not the path to the most, you know, lavish lifestyle, but it is a path, it seems like to me, to to being truly content and happy and when you're really true to yourself. And so I love when I speak to people who who kind of normalize the crazy, you know, as someone who has spent a lifetime hunting, you know, I I want to spend as much time with my family as possible. And then I want to spend as much time in the water doing the things I love as possible. And, you know, I've sacrificed for those things. I'm sure everyone who sees the world in the same way has, but, you know, you don't regret anything, or at least I don't. Um, And you've been been able to, I think when you live that close to what you love, um, other folks gravitate towards that. And then, you find weird opportunities out of it, and it's kind of like a it, it, it's an it's an interesting it's an interesting path. I know that's a little bit philosophical for this morning, but I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, love this conversation with Brandon. I think you guys will as well. Before we jump in, some things I've been thinking about. I have spent a good amount. We had an incredible. February, March run of prone conditions. It was insane. I mean, I think my buddy Dave and I were talking the other day, I think we did about 30 days in a row of it just being like really good. And then it seemed mid-March, the weather pattern switched and it started getting pretty windy. And that's when the downwind dive for me started. And I started spending a lot of time on the wing, a lot of time downwind. And I've kind of been a little bit concerned that my prone game was going to suffer. And it's the exact opposite. It's such a interesting um situation when it's a bad word choice little, little little not as articulate as normal today apologize um but it it it's this interesting thing that happens when you take time away doing ancillary uh sports that somehow it ups your game. And I was talking to to Brian Foil the world last night. And it's just, I think it has a lot to do with the amount of time you spend on foil when you wing and when you downwind, you know, I got to run the other night. I was on foil for 25, my new PR on, on foil for 25 minutes straight. That's hard to replicate in the surf. And so subconsciously, you're just getting so much more comfortable with all of the micro adjustments. And my last two prone sessions, we had some fun prone conditions in the last two days. My last two prone sessions have probably been the best I've I've ever uh, felt on foil. And it's just, it's so beautiful how each of the parts helps the whole and then the parts get better. Um, and the downwind game is just unreal. Like the send that I had the other night was, you know, only 12 to 15 mile an hour winds and it was really onshore. It's just that with every session and I've been going out, basically anytime it's blowing 12 miles an hour or more, I'm out there in the afternoon. I'm trying to send it just because at this point in the learning curve, there's always something I can learn. Even if it's terrible, even if my runs are one minute or if I barely get up, I'm learning something about the chip or I'm learning something about peeling out. I'm learning something about seeing the bumps differently. And it's, it's just fascinating. And so that's been incredible. The sea life that I'm seeing all, all positive sea life right now, thank goodness. But, you know, I had this huge sea turtle come up to me the other day. Um, about two weeks ago, I was making my paddle out, which is about a solid 10 minute paddle straight offshore and a pot of dolphin comes by and this one dolphin comes up. Two feet away from my board, rolls on its side, flip her out of the water, just, just stops swimming, and I had stopped paddling because I just saw the dolphin coming. I was just gonna kind of just watch, and he just looked at me for probably five, eight seconds, and it was just this incredible moment. Um, I felt very blessed on that session. It, it was, it was, it was pretty cool, um, and that's something that you don't necessarily get just in the surf line. Um, and then the the other thought that I have had on every good run that I've had now downwind and it usually happens about the five eight minute mark is it just feels so otherworldly you know like it is such a it's like being in a tube except that it lasts for a long time and what I mean by being in a tube it's not the same consequence but it is the same the first time you get barreled it's just like where am I like there's nothing that prepares you for the feeling of being engulfed in in water in that way, the, the tubular vision and that feeling. And I've had that same sort of feeling downwinding when you are in sync with all of the bumps and the whole ocean is moving. You're in this absolutely dynamic environment. I mean, there's nothing static happening anywhere around you. And you're navigating just what's seemingly chaos, but now all of a sudden it makes sense to you. And it's I, I, on all of these runs. I've had this moment where it it just kind of takes takes me aback. I kind of like, oh my goodness, is this really happening? This is so weird, and it's so incredible at the same time. So I'm absolutely hooked. Today looks like it's going to be great. The wind is 10 a.m. The wind is already up to 12 miles an hour. Should build throughout the day, which means probably early wing session, and then as the bumps build sending it again tonight so goodness this thing's incredible um big thanks to big wins big wins has been incredibly supportive recently they've been hooking up tons of gear to test helping me tremendous tj is you know a legend on the wing knows his stuff and he's been helping me a whole lot on the wing foil game um the duotone i'm riding right now the 1440 that was all thanks to to TJ, so if you guys like the show, please support them. Uh bigwins.com. Um, no limits has sent me a mast that I've been using a lot lately. I love that thing; it's it's amazing. Uh, Jim Stringfellow has sent different fuses and adapters to test and play with on that, which uh, are amazing. Uh, Cahoei leash has sent leashes, and and you know. I, I didn't appreciate the leashes at the beginning because I rarely use them prone where we are. There's no surfers around. You don't need to. But with the downwending, um, the leash makes me feel a lot more comfortable way outside. So, yeah, all that. Oh, and then I've been using the Ono Alva quick blade paddle that TJ hooked up, and that has made popping up. Uh, a little bit easier. And at some point in the future here, I'll talk about some of the tricks I've learned to making the takeoff a little bit easier. There's definitely some things, um, mass position, base plate angles, um, things that kind of like aid, you know, a couple percent difference in efficiency is really important when you're popping up in, in meager downwind stuff. So, so that's amazing Um, and that's actually changed the way that i'm tuning my surf foils now so i've been tuning the same way for about the last year and now all of a sudden in the last week i've completely changed the way that i'm tuning and i'm really digging it i need to test it in bigger surf to see if i if i like it but um thus far it's tightened everything up and it's all rad so uh hope everybody is well that you guys are sending it as hard as possible and enjoy the show with brandon
0: Brandon, thank you for coming on the podcast. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. I just got off the water feeling refreshed and comfortable. No stress.
1: I love it. I did too. We're we're both in good states to do this then.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously your situation, you're being propelled by the power of the ocean. I'm assuming you're paddle foiling. And then me, in my case, I was powered by the wind. So I was wind, wing, winging, wing dinging. Okay,
1: epic. Before before we jump in, I don't know a lot about you. So how would you describe yourself?
0: Well, my name is Brandon. I grew up in Michigan. I became obsessed with action sports as a lot of kids did in the 90s. And I found my love of the wind in the, in the ocean. And my life took like a right turn. And what well, wind sport enthusiasts, I've been working in the wind sports industry since around 2005. And now I have my hands behind the scenes in a bunch of the products at Slingshot, which is a wind sports company and they do wakeboards, hydrofoils, wings, kites, windsurfing equipment, all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, now I'm like, like an in industry kind of person, I guess is the best way to describe it.
1: Epic. I was, I, I did a session with a buddy of mine, Dave, and I told him you were coming on the podcast. You were with Slingshot and, it was funny because he started on a slingshot, I started on one, Pedigo started on one. You guys were out there early, but now it we're not seeing it as much. Like what happened after that first run? I mean, I was on what was it, the manta? It was the biggest thing <laughs> ever.
0: Yeah. So with the hydrofoil explosion that happened in kiteboarding, it started, gosh, I want to say like in between 2010 and 2012, maybe into the 2014, there was an aggressive strategy by a couple kiteboarding companies to make a really price con accessible and easy foil for everyone to get on. I think that's what you're referring to, right? Like the hover glide series with Probably. the manta wing, yep. the aluminum fuselage. And I think that was really accessible for a lot of people who price was a really big question. Like, hey, am I going to be obsessed with this new sport? And like, what do I need to do? And at that time, Carbon was still really boutique. So I think they had the right product at the right time and it, it expanded a lot of people into that program. Since then, there's been a lot of entry by not only all the kiteboarding companies, but a lot of just hydrofoil companies. You have companies like Axis and Lift and Armstrong making big headway into the surf space, which earns a lot of reputation. And Slingshot has just been continuing to provide great foils for the wind sports community and working on a line of high-modulus carbon, high-performance foils for, I would say, the last couple of years. They launched the Phantasm line in The last product cycle, and there's a smattering of wing offerings, and that has just been doubled down on since then. So there's a lot of stuff in the pipeline, as well as things are continuing to evolve at Slingshot.
1: Right on. So I want to get into all things foiling, but I want to start with something a little deeper. And that is when I browse your Instagram page, you're someone who is sending it in like 10 different sports, it seems like. And some of them, I mean, to me, look pretty risky, like off of mountains with, I guess, a paraglider or whatever that's called. And I wanted to to understand how you have fallen into, and I'm one of these people too, and, and I guess this is always a personal journey for me on these conversations, because I'm trying to understand how at some point when I was 13 or 15, surfing or skating or something hijacked my life. And I never wanted to live too far away from that. I did for a little while, a couple years. It was terrible. I found my way back. And then it's been a lot easier to navigate life living as close to the things I love to do as possible. And so I wanted to get your take on how, what your relationship is to these deeper flow states or, or how you define them, and then how that has guided your life.
0: Yeah, that's the freaking... That's a really good conversation because I find myself, I think the flow state is associated with, correct me if I'm wrong, but like the theta wave in your brain or is it the gamma wave? I can't remember. always remember exactly which one it is, but they've proven that this brain wave that you experience during these high intensity moments, race car drivers probably have these moments, I'm sure, where all you can operate on is the the thing that you're operating on and all the chatter in your brain shuts down. That brain wave is associated with like, Clearing your brain of all the stress of the day and like coding memories. You get those same kind of brainwaves sometimes in your REM sleep and stuff like that. So, those are just like really healthy states for your brain to be in. With the constant stimulation in everyday life, I think those are hard for people to achieve. Kids, family, life, work, the computer in your pocket, all that stuff takes away from your ability to tap into those. So I think time that you get those is really good. And then for me personally, I'm an, I feel like I'm an adrenaline addict. I was like always a little kid that would like build the lip of the jump a little higher and like wheelie out of it, but you save it. And then you're like stoked and you get that big hit of adrenaline. And I think that is my favorite neurotransmitter in my brain. So all the sports that I do are ways for me to get in that brainwave state and get that adrenaline with the most variety of things that I can do so that my adrenaline addiction isn't only fueled by one thing. Because if there's only one thing you can do, then you're like crabby if you can't do that one thing, right? So my love of surfing originally started as a downtime from kiteboarding, which was like the first thing that I was really obsessed with in my late teens. And mountain biking found its way into my life. Snowboarding, I've been snowboarding my whole life, but Really out here, I look at it as a resource to use when the wind isn't insanely great or the flying isn't great or the biking is too wet and saturated. So it's implementing like a schedule so that you always have something to go do to get that release because without it, you're the worst person is I think what you're getting at, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's a worst person or if it's just that some of us are more drawn addicted To those states need them more something you said there at the beginning about the brain waves i don't know if you saw what red bull did when they put helmets on the surfers and they were studying brain waves and the brain waves that surfers were hitting riding waves were really only seen and i might be bastardizing what i read here it was years ago but they were the same waves seen by the deepest buddhist monks
0: Yeah, I've seen it. I've read a book. It's been a while since I read it on the brain state of flow and just how it's really tied into the same meditative space. And it's really interesting. You can get the same feeling from like, I don't know if you snowboard, but you snowboard like tight trees. Mm -hmm. You can't really, yeah, you're like looking two turns beyond your current turn. And so you're operating, not even, uh, you're operating into the future. If that makes sense, and that state is really addictive in the same way, like you 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 lose sense of what's going on with your person, and you're thinking to your next moment. I'm sure you get that in your like downwind shore runners, where you're like you're going down a wave already, but you're already looking at the next maneuver you're gonna make. So you might not consciously be focused on what you're doing currently, like operating this future zone
1: yeah absolutely. And I'm just starting to dive into legit downwinding more offshore. And I find that shore runners, it's a game that's close to surfing for me. And downwinding, you're I'm looking farther ahead, it, it, like the two bumps ahead, the two trees ahead.
0: yeah, it's like a puzzle, right? It's like a game you're it's like a each run is like a little puzzle how you're gonna connect each bump to the next bump. We have a lot of guys here that, well, I wouldn't say a lot, but there's a steady crew of people here in the gorge that paddle the, the sups onto the foils. And I see them same thing, like mm-hmm. on the river, they're so focused on what's going on and I'm usually winging. And so if I fall, it's like, whatever, I don't care. And I get on waves with them and they're so focused and it's an interesting contrast for sure.
1: That's that's epic. The other thing I was gonna say about doing multiple sports, and, and this is something that I found. And in Costa Rica, to get the same feeling surfing, I had to start sending it harder and harder into stupider and stupider situations, basically. And but when I change sports, I like I go snowboarding, I'm getting that same chemical feel look like a kook but it feels the same at a much lower consequence and so i have found that the folks who are good and then stay chasing those states in a sport for a decade or two end up at a very risky place. Sometimes it's you know the promotions, advertiser sponsorship, whatever it is pushing them there. But I think a lot of it is the need for those states. And where if you take someone who is surfing a 100-foot wave at Nazare and you put them in trees, they're going to be probably just as tapped in chemically or brainwave state at a much lower consequence. And when I realized that, I thought it was like actually an interesting and maybe safer way to navigate dealing with the, I don't know, addiction or whatever it is that I tend to have.
0: No, I really like that because that ties into something that I really believe in too. And that's the encouragement of neuroplasticity in your brain and being the forever student. So like I get addicted to new things all the time because it's so fun to be on the progression curve. It's like ramping up exponentially. And every time you go, you're like, oh man, I got so much better. Oh, I unlocked this or, oh my gosh, it just like, I hit this jump that I've never hit before. That was mountain biking. It was like every day ride, you got a little bit better, a little bit faster. You play the Strava game where you're like addicted to your time, beating your time. (laughs) And uh, I agree with you being that forever student allows you to rekindle those things without going through that. Cause otherwise you hit what I call like plateau syndrome where -hmm. it takes a lot to get what you want. In my case, it was on the twin tip with the kiteboard. Like I had maxed out my ability to like really go as hard as I wanted to on the twin tip and the crashes and the, the it all just like added up to like, where much more than a 900 or a double handle pass, like inversion off the kicker. There's it's risk for reward. Just wasn't worth it. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. I a hundred percent get that. One other thing that I have spent
1: some time diving into as well, you're talking about crossover sports and neuroplasticity. I have, has started. I, I talk about something called skill, ma- or uh, yeah, skill mapping. Which is, I find that doing sports that are different but have so say skateboarding to foiling mm-hmm. um, is probably the best way for me to learn and and not learn in a deliberate practice incremental way, but to have foundational, like transform transformative shifts in understanding and doing something. And it takes getting away from a sport, integrating something new, a new feel, a new line on a skateboard or surfing. And then you come back to foiling and now it's like, oh my goodness. All right. I, I think I can do something similar to this. Or is that something you felt as well?
0: I mean, how much does a carving a tight pocket in a bowl feel like pushing through a turn on a hydrofoil, like locked in on the roll axis and just like ripping. Right. It's like identical. It's crazy. So for sure. I think that all that stuff comes cross and same for me, I'll take like a similar setup that I'm winging and I'll take it kite foiling and I'll tap it way harder with the kite foil because you can lean on your kite and you can, you can go faster on your kite than you can on the wing and all that stuff. And then you get back on the same foil behind a different craft and it gives you like confidence in it in some <laughs> ways that you didn't have before and that can be really helpful as well so i'm a firm believer that if you're into the foil and you have access to a boat to ride your foil behind a boat or you can paddle it in a wave or you can use it with a wing or you your kite porter and you want a hydrofoil there man all that stuff is going to just make you a better hydrofoiler no question
1: yeah I wish we disagreed on more. Probably make for a better conversation.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I just think the the most important thing for people is just to have a variety of things to do and not just tie your happiness, your sport happiness to one thing because I think that's the best thing about foiling. I'm, I'm making all these new friends who are windsurfers and people who are just like, that we never were really associated with. And the wing and the hydrofoil is bringing all these these people together who are looking for something different than they're getting from their current sport, right? Like you don't just like stumble across hydrofoiling. You you don't just like dabble in hydrofoiling. Usually once you're a hydrofoiler, you're like really into it. And it has the ability to like bridge beyond that. I see some of the pro surfers are doing downwinds and, and I've seen a couple of them winging and I know it's all coming, this giant crossover. So it's really exciting times for both the hydrofoil for surfing and for wind sports. I think it's like a really cool moment.
1: Yeah. It it is interesting because as a lifelong surfer and board sport guy, I mean, I just always loved board sports, never Mm -hmm. really cared about anything wind, Mm
0: -hmm. but now
1: because of foiling, like I love going out on the wing like I'm looking for days when it's windy. Uh,
0: yeah, it's cool, right? It's like it's the same thing back to that schedule. Like if you want to be doing something, if, for a lot for a lot of people as well you got to think like schedule, right? So like you have 2 hours. Okay, you have 2 hours you can go to the ocean and if you show up and it's windy and you're not bummed about that because you have a, a wing, you're stoked and if you show up and it's not windy and there's a wave and you can foil that way It's all about making sure that time that you dedicate to get that, what you want, you can go get what you want.
1: 100%. The wing and now downwind has, I mean, doubled my water time.
0: It's amazing. Yeah, that's rad. That's what I like. That's so cool because it's going to be transformative for a lot of different water areas with the fact that you can jump in anywhere and think the Midwest people that will get exposure to this, that aren't going to be. Surfers, because of the the nature of their situation, that will be hydrofoilers. You know what I mean. And it's just going to bring everyone more enjoyment. It's going to make the gear better for all of us who are active participants. The more, if the giant crowd of people do come into hydrofoiling, like everyone's hoping, man, our hydrofoilers are going to get crazy good.
1: What's interesting about that last statement is that giant crowd of people getting into something as a surfer makes me shiver. Like it's super scary, but in foiling, I don't feel that same scarcity. So it's uh, a more of the merrier type of situation.
0: It seems like, yeah, it seems like obviously people, there's a huge stigma about people paddling blades through the lineup, right? Like I've seen like surf memes, like where people are chopped in half and like all that kind of stuff. So that obviously that, but if you're going to the right waves for hydrofoiling, you're not really scrapping with people. And the people that go to those spots, generally, they want more people to come hang out with them because it's more fun. And then as far as wind sports go, man, you can pack a shit ton of kite boarders or wingers or wind surfers in a really small area. So there's never been the stigma of like, hey, bro, this is my beach. Don't come here to do your kiteboarding. Like they're always been stoked. So I think there's a fundamental difference between surfing and wind sports in that nature. And it's not as finite of a resource. Yeah. And so, in, yeah.
1: In, in Florida, we've got endless sandbars. So you're always just trying to get your buddies to come foil with you. And they're trying to get you to go with them somewhere else. And it's it's a different mentality. Like in Costa Rica, we used to lie to each other because everyone wanted to get the barrel the next morning. <laughs> and then you'd get to the spot and you're like, ah, guys lied to me again or we lied i lied to them too so
0: (laughs) yeah i mean there's something to be said about the special uh moments that you can spend inside the tubular nature of water that are sometimes worth being a jerk about i get it but the the great part about the foil and the wind sport and all that stuff is that you don't have to be you can go have fun with your friends and usually when you're foiling man you can talk to people while you're riding your foils is crazy Yeah. Like full on conversations. Like today we were doing a bunch of racing, right? We were like doing, setting up a course. They want to start like a Wednesday winging race thing, community race thing here in the gorge. And so we're trying to like suss out what kind of courses do we want to run? What's the water safety situation? What's the, all that kind of stuff. And it's so fun. You just like sit down, you gaggle up, you have a little chat, you get up winging, you can talk while you're winging, you're zooming around the river. So fun. It's so quiet. I've been obsessed with foiling for a long time for, for a lot of reasons, but the the quiet is really something special. When did you first get in? Let's see. I don't know the exact year. I want to say it was right around 2012, 2013. I had sustained a, a hand fracture. So I basically snagged my fingers on the bottom of some shallow water doing a freestyle trick and snapped the middle finger bone, your metatars, which does really affect your ability to grip and coming out of recovery for that. I was concerned about being able to go kiteboarding and use a lot of gripping strength. At the time I was doing a lot of unhooked tricks with the kite. And I was just concerned that this big trip I was going to go on, I was going to be bummed about because my hand would hurt. So I actually crazy. I called Nick at Lyft because at this time, like it was carafino do you remember this brand have you ever did you yeah. so they made like carbon foils and nick those are like the only two people that were making carbon foils or really any except no one was making extruded aluminum foils at this point and i was like nick dude i don't know what foiling is the haru guys just dropped this insane video i think i want to i think i want to do it but i i'm broke and like my kiteboard sponsors aren't going to pay for me to buy like a $2,000 foil. So like, what can we do? And he like was awesome. And he put together a foil for me and it was a high aspect foil. I don't know why I bought that at the beginning. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go super fast. I bought a wake skate from liquid force and I had this tiny little board and I was like, just committed that I was going to learn how to do it. And we learned in Maui that winter. And it was like a full mind melting, like, experience not only how hard it was to learn and but like the reward and then the realization that like 12 knots of wind was going to be insanely fun and how revolutionary this was going to be for the sport of kiteboarding like it was all clicking at one moment and yeah and then liquid force went right into the game and like tried to build the first aluminum extruded cheap foil because mike murphy had the patent on it so we had to like get it from him so that was like a long time ago and i've been foiling ever since i'm just obsessed and i'm I'm obsessed with kiteboarding and all the other things but foiling is just so fun it's so fun it's such a session saver for kiteboarders 12 knots you go to the beach 12 knots used to be 17 meter kite giant board like schlog town and now it's eight meter super fast like 600 square centimeter foil like just ripping big S-carves and stuff. It's so fun.
1: It's epic.
0: And it's interesting
1: to see how foiling is being, you mentioned this earlier, being taken up by a lot of the best surfers in the world where surfing, it started out as a counterculture, but now it has become an incredibly homogenous space. I mean, you're riding a 5'10 to a one shortboard by one of 10 manufacturers. And otherwise you're somewhat look down upon in most places or you're riding a mid length in Southern California or something like that. But it seems like a lot of good surfers are gravitating towards the foil. Obviously we understand how incredible that is. It's going to be interesting though to see if it permeates surf culture because here in Jacksonville, Florida where I live, I mean, the surf is terrible 29 out of 30 days. (laughs) I mean bad. And foiling is incredibly good here and yet none of the surf crew has started to foil and that's blowing my mind that folks are that close-minded they're seeing us like doing runs i did a run today like two and a half miles just one ship from the house shot the pier there's like probably 25 guys working over like a one foot wave at the pier but none of them care and that's blowing my mind when you're seeing the good surfers get into it and i'm wondering if you think that there's a time frame or what has to happen for that mentality to shift?
0: I think first and foremost, it's it's a pocketbook thing, right? So, like mm-hmm. agreed. I mean, it's you're talking couple grand at thrown at something, even if you get a hover, like let's say you get a hover guide and aluminum setup, but then ultimately you become obsessed and you buy a carbon setup, it's almost a little bit more expensive that way than just to bite the bullet on the front end. So for a surfer who can get, I mean, surfboards are not cheap these days either. I bought a brand new Mayhem, like super sweet board. It was like almost a grand. So I think that's a huge barrier right out of the gate. And then I do feel there is still a bit of closed-mindedness. We had experienced the same thing in kiteboarding. We were like, look at kiteboarding and kite surfing, which arguably is super fun on a windy day and a surfer you would think more surfers would get into it but we had the same thing like why don't they like kite surfing like i don't get it but they just don't and we keep hoping that they do like every surfer is going to buy a kite kiteboarding kite surfing is going to be huge and it really takes it takes a person who is willing to be that forever student it takes a person who really wants it because you learning to foil was not, I don't know how your learning progression went, but it wasn't like I got foiling right away. So you have to have that motivation to be like, I'm going to struggle and I'm going to struggle for a while and I'm totally okay with that. And that's totally fine. And I think certain personality types don't do well with the struggle.
1: For me, I love the struggle. I started to get into kiting and what got me was just the amount of gear and then the getting down there and the wind dropping and having a shocker just because of the wind. And then you're out with a kite down in the water and there's not enough wind to relaunch. I did that a few times and was like, oh my goodness, like I just want to. And then foiling came along, and now all of a sudden you're just walking down with a board. And it's really hard to learn, but I don't have to deal with all of the setup. And that's what turned me off of kiting.
0: For sure. Kiteboarding will forever be what it is because of the cost, same thing, mm-hmm. and how conditions dependent and gear intensive it is. Mm-hmm. You would argue that it's almost even more win- gear than a windsurfer, which people say is really gear intensive. I think winging will lower the barrier for that. people look at that, oh, I just need my board and my wing. There's no strings. I can't get like lofted through the sky. I don't need to be cautious about launching this thing. I think all that goes away. And you're right. When you get just down to the base foil, you're back to like surfing. You basically, once you have your foil on your board, yeah, it's a little heavier, but it's just your one item, right? So I I would like to see that people in marginal areas start to realize that there's more fun to be had than just sitting in the water and and trying to ride a one-foot wave for sure. Yeah, groveling is a thing of the past. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I don't see the point there. I actually want to ask you, I want to ask you a question. I listened to a couple of your podcasts. I know you're really into the unifoil line for your foil surfing. You said you were able to ride like masks on No Limits, on the product Cedrus mask. I'm sure you've ridden the lift profile mask. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious, what's the best mast on the market? Because right now I feel there's a lot going on in the masts. And I'm just curious to pick your brain on that.
1: Okay, so I'm not going to give you a straight answer. And the reason is because what you're optimizing for.
0: Right, I agree, I agree. There's like stiffness and then there's cord. You're, you can't always have the thinnest profile and the strongest mass or the noodliest feel, right? Yep. And so what I
1: think is going to happen, my my hypothesis is that you're going to have a no limits or a sadress. Release a mast that is incredibly fast and still as light and stiff and hopefully modular, and that's going to be the one. Yeah, okay. I don't think that there is a one yet. I think that Sadrus is the stiffest mast. No Limits is got a really good blend of stiff and super fast. That's what I've been on mostly lately. And then I really like like the Uni Mast and the Lift Mast because they're really fast and stiff enough i think Cabrina right. new mast i'm on the older cabrina mast apparently i bet the new one there is going to be really good as well but mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of stuff in foiling right now is everyone's getting better at the material science and starting to understand the design and the requirements if you look at how hard guys are pushing foils now compared to like a year and a half ago i mean it is a very different game you're loading so much harder in turns now and so gear still failing at a pretty, for me anyways at a pretty high percentage. And so failing,
0: I, failing in that you're like breaking wings and bending stuff or failing in that you're getting mass ventilation and you're not happy with the performance of your mast.
1: Both. But yeah. the thing that bothers me more than anything is when stuff breaks. Yeah, for sure. I break a lot of, I break a lot of gear. Um, but your wait buck 90 in a wet full wetsuit, 200 pounds.
0: Yeah. You're about the same as me. I'm like one ninety two. So same thing. I break a lot of stuff as well. Yep. That's why I am in my job that I'm in. I'm really good at putting stuff through the paces in a logical way and giving like concise feedback that helps move products forward. But that involves me like, yeah, being really hard on stuff. And I agree with you. I'm, it's crazy how quick things bend and break and snap.
1: Yep. So at Slingshot, how are you taking on masts? I mean, is that something that you've been thinking about for a while or has it now just becoming a more popular conversation and you guys are...
0: No, that conversation was for me personally because I had the No Limits masts manufactured across the river in here in the gorge. And I've been always tasked with testing and I like to do a a thorough job. So I like to test other people's stuff to make sure that the company... and The gear that we're working on is up to spec and up to par. And I was just curious. It's not we're having a lot more mass conversations. We're just trying to benchmark, get rid of the the rabble. Everyone talks a lot, but until you feel it for yourself, it's really hard to put stuff on the board. So you get mass where people are really hot on and then you ride them with slow wings and they work really good. You ride them with like really fast wings and they don't work at all. So I'm just curious as to your testing, your experience, because you're using them in a different dynamic. I'm primarily wind sport. So I see different things than you might see in your surfing, like being propelled by the ocean. Our speeds are different. Our forces are a little different. I mean, right now I'm just keying in on uh, mass ventilation because I feel like there's a lot of mass that do that under wind loading. And I'm just interested to try to make better products right now our mass that we've had in our carbon construction is working really good i don't know that i've ever ridden a mass that doesn't do that maybe a mike's lab it's like the closest thing but but ours has been working really well so i'm just trying to benchmark it with other people
1: i want to get on the mike's lab stuff at some point everyone keeps telling me how good they are and i have not ridden them yet
0: yeah they're fast i mean and they have their feel right they're very positive like you The faster you go, the more like comfortable they get, which is really freaking crazy. And they just, they're buttery smooth and sharp and scary and all the things you want. I I don't
1: like with some of the stuff that I don't like extremely sharp. So like the Takuma gear, which I'm a big fan of, comes razor sharp. And the first thing I do is sand it
0: down. Yeah. To detune all those edges, those upturn wingtips on those winglets, man, those things are sharp out of the box. I agree with you.
1: I take those off. I haven't taken them off the 1095 yet just because that foil is really special and I don't really send it in the same way. I've really limited the amount of like foam bashing, like the critical stuff above the lip where sometimes if you come apart, you're coming down on your foil. I don't do that on the 1095 nearly as much as I would do it on a...
0: Because you've eaten too many wingtips? You've taken too many gnarly wingtips to the...
1: Yep. I was sending it really hard when I first got it and then I had one where... I lost it doing a tail blow, and I lost it. And the wing was coming at my head, and I blocked it with my forearm. And it's on video, and it's like, I mean, it was going to hit me like right in the forehead or eye. Oh, my God.
0: Are you leashed? Are you leashed to your foil?
1: I don't normally because I don't like being that close to it when I'm coming. Um, Yeah, I
0: was going to say, I have some experience with the paddle prone surfing hydrofoils, but all my scary moments with the hydrofoil so far have been winging in like pretty sizable situations. We just did a trip down to Chile and we were winging in some pretty big spots and yeah, the wing plus the hydrofoil plus all the leashes plus all it's scary, man. Oh man.
1: (laughs) Actually, maybe you can help me with this. Like I have had my Like last couple, I would say not really injuries, but like I keep getting like maybe micro concussions on the wing because you can go so fast and then I'll breach because I'm usually doing it in open ocean and I'll breach and I'm not expecting the breach, so I'm looking at where I'm going and then all
0: of a sudden I'm just slapping the water. Yeah, and I have have a couple friends who are starting to wear helmets for that reason alone. Does that? Um, safety as well but yeah the slaps on the water are no joke right but does so, it
1: help with that or does it slow you down more because when i was wearing helmets at the beginning of foiling i was finding that i was getting that kind of more because the helmet would slow you down quicker it was more surface area
0: yeah so there's like always been a competing theory about that and like our park kiteboarding that we do and wakeboarding where like wakeboarders would be like no nah, the helmet is worse than no helmet i mean i think anytime you pad your brain you're doing yourself a favor and by the helmets that i'm referring to are the ones that i really like is like a Gaff helmet super tight super sleek yep so you, you get a lot of water penetration still as you're going into the water ride engine one of the brands under slingshot also makes like a rugby helmet it's like soft neoprene foam that one's really great too because you don't take as much impact on your head and you're, you're not getting that big slap from like a hard helmet surface. But another really um, important thing is it's hard to remember this in that moment you breach, but if you can get your legs out in front of you and just get something in the water before your head, you'll aerate the water a bit and you'll reduce the amount of concussive force you're going to get on your, fi- on your head. That's a good so, tip if you're like really close, you know how you don't know you're going to blow up, but you feel yourself getting that extra puff, right? You're like, oh boy, here it comes. And you're like really going fast. And you're like, you're at the edge of your foil, right? Mm-hmm. So in those moments, you want to be ready that when you feel that instability or that breach, you're just stepping off the board and you're trying to get your knees up into like a cannonball almost. So you can get them out in front of you and, and really try to get those things in the water. Because legs in is way better than head in for sure. That makes a ton of sense. What I'm concerned
1: about and most of the time where my mind goes is that I'm wearing a leash and I've had a couple of those where I go over the front so quickly that now all of a sudden I'm pulling on the leash and I know my board's coming at me.
0: Yeah, you yank the foil at you for sure. So I'm kind um, of
1: like usually like turning back, like playing defense. The, the best though is when you can feel it coming and then like pull up on the wing and almost like let it gently glide you down. Yeah, you get like a little extra boost. I don't do that often, no.
0: (laughs) I think the leash situation with the hydrofoil is like a weird one. So I use like a medium length coil leash Mm -hmm. that has a fair amount of stretch so that I'm not getting like explosive rebound. But when I do fall, I'm like six to eight feet away from my board. So I get clearance from the foil and the board, but I also don't have something that like shock loads up really quick. Right. I think... That's important to think about when you're designing a leash and making a product specifically for winging, but just throwing like a normal shortboard surf leash on there, you might get some of that spring back.
1: Yeah. I'm using like the kahoe leashes. Those
0: leashes are great. I love them because I don't feel them. Yeah. Um, it sucks when you have step on your leashes and all that. That's so annoying. <laughs> yeah.
1: And one thing I will say though, is we're talking about leashes and if you are foiling around anyone else, you need to wear a leash the reason I don't have to wear a leash a lot in Florida is because we foil a sandbar that is basically just us. And there's really no one around, I'm never really near surfers. So if I'm anywhere where there's people, I wear a leash. And I, I
0: second that notion. In kiteboarding, you can get away from it because there's a lot of power loading you up against your foil. But in same thing in winging, we have a lot of people here in the gorge that are like, no, I don't wear a board leash. And then they get away from their kit and they can't get back to it. They're like, so I'm agree with you. Leashes are are safe as long as you have your leash length dialed.
1: Yep. I think maybe I'll after this conversation get a longer leash for winging.
0: Yeah. Just have this. Yeah. Setup. You don't want to you don't want to be shock loading that thing when you're stepping off the board. Mm-hmm. And then the worst thing is if you shock load it and it pulls the foil up into the air, and then you have you and your wing and the foil like trying to flip over, and a uh, wing plus foil equals not fun swimming like dacron repaired patches you don't want to mix the foil in the wing it's no fun for anyone. let's i've got so i apologize to the audience here
1: because i'm up against a, a hard stop time limit here in about 10 minutes so a couple things that i want to touch on before we have to jet and brandon i'd like to have you on again this has been a great conversation so maybe we can consider this part one and in a month or two do another one
0: yeah i'm more than keen i'm I love talking.
1: It's super fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk about design going on at Slingshot right now, because you guys picked up the Spencer brothers, right? Yep. And I know like one of the things that is, I don't know, Jack from town, Jack Ho mentioned this on the podcast and some other stuff. Like there's a lot of secret design stuff happening in the foil world. And I know that, I mean, Jeffrey and Spencer rip great dudes, but I I know, I remember the time when they're hiding foils going down to the beach and stuff. So I know you guys got a lot of cool stuff going on. What are you working on right now that you can talk?
0: Yeah. So I think the best thing that we can talk about is some additions to some of our wing lines that are going to be more suitable, I think for foil surfing, as well as for winging. And that's additions in one of our lines in the higher aspect. I know hydrofolium is filled with acronyms and names and numbers. So it's, I don't want to confuse anybody, but It's the PTM line, which is our higher aspect performance wings. We have it in a couple different sizes from a really wide spanny one. And our numbers are going to be the span of the wing, not the raw surface area. I know it's counterintuitive, but Tony, the designer, who's the mad scientist behind all the hydrofoils, he feels span is a really overlooked number in the world of hydrofoiling. And it tells you a lot about your wing because surface area can be made in a lot of different ways. Span is like a hard number that you can't fudge. So we have that in the thousand one, and we had it in a seven thirty, and then a mid aspect one in a nine two six, and that was really popular for winging. And we backfilled the middle with nine thirty and a eight two five, which are more true to aspect ratio. And those, those wings, I think, are the are like from a performance standpoint. The most exciting thing that's going to come in the pipeline um, for the selling season coming up this summer—they rip on the wing, the in the surf they're working really good. The bigger one is easier to pump. The smaller one has more like shred to it, and I think those are the two wings that I'm like the most hot on right now. There's other things going on. Different lines are being fleshed out. Like things are like coming more robust for the line itself. But that's the one that that I've been like freaking out on lately. And what are those optimized? Speed and glide. And they're going to be like pretty reactive on the roll. So because they're spanny, they're not going to be like crazy reactive on the roll, but um, comfortable. And then glide and speed. Their aspect ratio, like over nine. Surface area on the 825 is like 780. I don't know the 930 off the top of my head, but it's proportionately scaled. So I would guess the nine is in the 800s and surface are super glidey and efficient with a lot of speed i'm, I'm looking hitting at the website now
1: are, are these on online yet or no
0: no you said you wanted to talk about things that were like super right. close yep. but not quite there yeah if you want things that are currently in the website no, no, or no, optimized for foils
1: let's talk about the fun stuff
0: how much we've had, had a lot of we've had a lot of really great feedback in the surf and downwind world with the thousand and one which is available currently that one is also like a high aspect it's just a it's pretty spanny so i think for someone who wants to tag the white water and stuff, stuff like you like to ride i think that one would be a little bit overkill for you and the 730 is going to be a, a you you're going to need a wave for that one that's more like toe borderline toe
1: gotcha everything's becoming like the sizes that we were thinking were small a year ago are now no longer small. If you look at like, I
0: know it's crazy. It's funny.
1: Yeah. It's nuts.
0: I think people are learning that once you can get up and you're getting more efficient at getting up on the foil, you can take advantage of all that speed that is given to you by a higher aspect, lower surface area foil. And as long as you know how to keep the dream, I like to call it keeping the dream alive. Like (laughs) keep like that one extra pump that you need to do to keep the dream alive. It's surprising how easy it can be to keep that going. and, And you don't, Get the negative drawback of that stall point if you just keep going yep. it's crazy it's uh... so that's really exciting we have really good i, I will say we have we have a pr- really good mast at 82 cm and 72 cm they're really stiff and strong and super fast like the spencer boys push them really fast on their downwind runs and their winging and fred our our hydrofoil aficionado guy mega hydrofoil master he can go upwards of getting close to 40 miles an hour on his hydrofoil setup in this in with the kite. So Ooh. the mast is is pretty astounding given that Tony designed it for windsurfing, wind foiling. He didn't necessarily have surf in mind. It's more wind power sports. It's a lot more torque and a lot more force. So that's pretty astounding just of itself. It's light, it's stiff, it's strong. So I think that's something to be looked at as well. That's it really looks, cool about our line.
1: It looks like you guys also use. A male part at the bottom of your mast that's substantially bigger than most brands are using, which probably has a lot of advantage as far as leverage and loss of drive when you're pumping.
0: Yeah, I mean the the Tony's all about making a really stiff, really perform performance system, and uh, that like connection to the fuselage does kind of bolster that all up and tighten all that up and make it really stiff. I, I know you feel it when you ride, let's say 800 or bigger span wing, like the force on the fuselage and the mast foot is crazy, crazy. Especially if you're really whomping turns hard. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's why you're breaking things, right? Like you're whomping it super hard and the wing hooks up and it just like, it just, I see a lot of bolt shearing and like wings breaking at the, where they mount. Yep. So
1: Masts have broken for me. At the connection point at the fuse or at the connection point to the base plate like right where the base plate tapers into the mast
0: yeah it's never right at the foot or at the top right
1: exactly i I like how on your base on your plate you have a bunch of extra holes there which as a lot of these foils are getting smaller boards aren't working anymore because you have to push the for the foil so much farther forward in the box and so that
0: option man that's that's such a crazy conversation to have because we've been talking about that as well. Like it's crazy how you change your tail wing and all of a sudden you can't ride your foil on your board anymore. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> um, so having as, many mount- having as many mounting options as you possibly can is going to be great. Slingshot is opening tooling for a track that's 37 centimeters long. So we're going to have like crazy amounts of adjustability in some of our entry level wing boards where we know people are going to ride them with other people's foils. So we want to make our stuff as easy and compatible to use as the feeling you get on a lift foil is way different than the balance you have on a Takuma foil that's way different than that's on a... It's crazy. It's crazy. At this point, if you're making boards
1: for someone, you have to ask
0: them what foils is the riding. Oh my gosh, yeah. I would imagine a custom shaper would be really tra- challenging right now.
1: Yep. Well, I apologize, but I have to uh, I have to jet. What do you want to leave folks with? And let's, uh, let's plan a time in the next little bit to... Maybe do a part two. I'd love to.
0: I would love to get back on this. I just want to leave everyone with the stoke. I want people to feel the excited to be on the water. And I think the best way that they can do that is to to open up their mind to other things. If that's a surfer trying to learn to hydrofoil, that's a hydrofoiler trying to learn a wind sport that's you just going out and stepping on a skateboard and trying to open your neuroplasticity just encourage everyone to feel the froth and be the forever student is like the best thing that i can tell everyone to try to do go with the flow be the flow
1: i love it brendan thank you so much for coming on the podcast and look forward to chatting again
0: yeah hopefully the first of a few process with your host, Eric Antonson.